This is Gutterball. The Lebowski Deepcast. It does kind of remind me of like the line art of Picasso. In each episode, Brad and Adam discuss a single minute of The Big Lebowski. Why don't we keep the whole million? Providing insight. This reminds me of uh, Walmart.horse. Commentary. Don't puff your chest out all hot saucily. And conjecture. The Supreme Court has <laughs> roundly rejected prior <laughs> restraint. <laughs> Come on, Tars. Come on, Tars. Here we are. Here we are. Oh, Tars. Oh, is he there with you? He, well, he's not. So, well, first, this is an opportunity for me to thank you publicly on the podcast. I have him here with me. For my little Tars. We've talked up your little Tars before. Now I have one. It was a surprise. I got this thing in the mail. The thing was, I was waiting for some photos to come in. Well, you're probably disappointed then. I'm so sorry. I was like, well, no, because I was first, I was like, when I saw those, I was like, oh, yeah, these are just must be those photos, even though I never had to sign for them before. I don't know. But then, so that morning I got up, I'm like, oh, yeah, there's photos. So what, you got it I, the day before? Well, I came home from work, and you get a um, slip. There's a slip in the mailbox saying, like, we try to deliver this, but you have to sign for it. So come to get it at the post office. You can pick it up after noon the next day. What an inconvenience. Yeah. So, um, but then... So, but then in the morning, I was like, all right, I'm going to go to the post office afternoon today. And I looked at the slip a little closer and I saw that it said like who it was from. And it just said from GB. <laughs> G- gutter balls. Well, that's was confusing me, right? That was the first thing I thought. It was like, well, wait a minute. Is this like a gutter balls thing? Gutterballs has become self-aware. And then I was like, well, did Adam send me something from Gutterballs? And I was like, I don't know. So this isn't the, this can't be the the photos, I don't think. Maybe it is, but it says GB. Well, here's what took me out. It's two things. It said GB and it said, um, I don't know. The thing that was checked was like, it said like mail or something like that. Didn't it say like Royal Mail or something? It didn't say that anywhere on this little form. But yeah, that's ultimately what it was. The GB was Great Britain. (laughs) Because that's where it came from. And and then on the little uh, thing on the back for customs that explains what's in it, it said, like, Lego figure. (laughs) So I was like... Now, at that point, like, what are you thinking? Well, I'm just thinking, did one of my kids buy a Lego figure from Great Britain? Somehow, <laughs> or maybe, you know, because they're always asking for strange stuff online that they just find online. Like they think of some random thing in their head and they immediately get the idea. Well, let me look for that online. Well, and sometimes they and have to fortify exist. their position and they get the fear, you know, so who knows yeah. what Lego thing might comfort exactly. them in their time of need. Exactly. So, you know, I was talking to. So I got it. It was new. And I, I just assumed, well, this must be something for one of the kids. So were you at work and you had to like go out of work and like drive to the post office? No, the shit? post office is like a block away. But you were at, it was, you still had to leave work. work and Yeah, I left do this. work 
you know, I left at noon. I figured I'd go pick this up, see what it is. Because at this point, I was just kind of curious. Because I was like, maybe up until like a couple hours previously, just like, oh yeah, it's my pictures. Then I was like, well, wait a minute, this isn't pictures based on this description. If I actually look at it closer, so then, yes. So then I get the box as Lego figure. So then I put it in my car, and then I drive uh, to have lunch. I decided to go drive to lunch versus just walk around. So while I'm eating lunch, I'm texting my wife. <clears throat> you might know her. Uh, do I? Her name is um, Christine. Oh, shit. Yeah, that's right. So she's like, no, I don't think we ordered anything. And then I go, because it's also like in my name. Like when you order from Amazon, it automatically goes to. Right. Whoever. To just to my just, name and address. Because right, it's your or account. Or if you use PayPal, it does the same thing. Mm-hmm. So I look on like the Amazon. So then I'm at lunch thinking, well, okay, so what? She doesn't know what this is. So what is this? I look at my Amazon order history. There's nothing. And I'm like, okay, this is really weird. It's like a like, ticking time bomb out like, there. Did one of the kids like somehow. <laughs> Like, use a computer. Like, I left it sitting on the counter. Shit, they cracked the code. Well, I don't think they were cracking any codes anytime soon, but I think they something. Like, I left the computer open. Well, the code of, like, going on the computer and it's open and I can just order (laughs) something. I mean, that's a code to be cracked. Yeah, they may have cracked that code. So then I went into the other room. Like, you know, yeah, I left the computer sitting idle for a couple minutes while I went to do a tinkle or something. (laughs) Is that what you do? You do tinkles? Not really. Okay. But I say it's more like racehorses. But I come back. Yeah, and they like ordered something. I don't know. Long story short, I decide, okay, I gotta open it. I gotta figure out what this is. Did you have the bomb sniffing dogs in there? I was a little concerned about that, I will admit. Um I was like, well, I'm just gonna throw caution to the wind. I was like, well, I'm in my car. Should I open it in a confined space? Should I go outside? I would have gone outside. It is full of white powder. What were some of your concerns? What's the worst idea that you had about it? Um, or one just of be not some the worst. kind of chemical slash biological weapon in there. Some of your nemeses may have sent to you. Yeah, well, I, I guess that idea was in my head because when it said GB, I was like, yeah, I don't know. What? Gutter some gutter freak was out there? Yeah. But anyway, what happened? I don't know. I We're on tenter hooks it, here. I opened it up. <laughs> and there was TARS was in there. TARS, come on. I had a TARS. And I instantly knew I was like, okay, only one person out there would send me a TARS. And only one person out there would be so thoughtful and considerate as well as understand the deep meaning of a TARS. It, and that would be you. Yep. So thank you. You're welcome. Yes, I do have a TARS. So what I have actually done so far is I have left it in my office. Okay. Since um, it's not going to get fucked up by any kids there. Right, right. And, um, you know, I probably need the most help while I'm at work. So for now, he's at the office. I feel that makes me a little bit sad just because I know, for instance, like right now, because we're recording this rather late, I know he's alone, but he's used to being alone. He's totally fine. That's what's so great about Tars. He's totally fine being alone. He's really just a tool. He is. Not in the sense of being like a dork or something. No. He's a a tool like a screwdriver. 
is. He's, you know, it's larger pieces to smaller pieces, smaller pieces yet. He's any size tool you need him to be, from a large-scale weapon to a tiny little eyeglass screwdriver. He's all of that. And the great thing about him is he's made out of little, like, larger and smaller pieces of Legos. (laughs) Yeah. Which I think is true to the spirit of TARS. I think it very much is. And I didn't realize, seeing yours, that it was actually Lego pieces. I didn't realize when I opened mine, which my wife got TARS from me. You might know her. Her name's Leslie. But she got it. And even I had him in my hands. And I'm like, oh my goodness, this is the greatest thing ever. And I had him for like a couple of days. And I'm like, wait a second. What the? Holy shit, it's Legos. Yeah. It's kind of like a custom Lego job. Yeah. Now, I mean, well, one, it has the whole TARS and the screens and everything. And the screens, you got to admit, like, that's some fine work there. Mm-hmm. For sure. Although I can already see my... Like, the name Tars is getting a little tarnished, and I try not to play with it too much. But he's getting a little tarnished. It's hard to... Ooh, I just ripped his leg off. Whoops. I put it back on, though. That's the great thing about a Lego Tars. It's not like Kip. He's all dismantled. He can be put back together. Well, Tars got put back together, too. Didn't he? Yeah, that's true. But, yeah, so this came from Great Britain. It's an Etsy find. We'll put a link to it. Let's do that. Fucking A, man. If we're going to find it, might as well do it. Spread the joy. I don't know if I know the name of these people who make it, but it's somebody over there across the pond, as it were. We'll find the link and we'll put it in the show notes. Ships worldwide from Bristol, United Kingdom. Which you can find the show notes at gutterballs.tv. That's right. That's right. Find the show notes for all our episodes. You can also... From there, you know, find the link to our, uh, if you're not subscribed, I don't know, I'm not sure how you're listening to this if you're not subscribed. How are you listening to this? Hit us up. Tell us how you listen yeah. to this. We can, you know, maybe make the experience a little better. I just assume everybody's, like, subscribed to it somehow. Yeah, it seems like that's not the case on the stats. It really doesn't seem like it, does it? I think a lot of people just, like, bookmark the site and come back and hit play. We, we don't know. Get a podcast app for your smartphone. What do you use, Brad? I, right now, am just using... I use an iPhone, and I'm using the Podcasts app. That's all I use. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty good. It's gotten pretty good. I I used to use I have no problem with it. Yeah, Instacast. Stitcher, I guess, is supposedly good, but I don't see, like, what benefit. I just want them to download, and I listen to them. Yeah. What else do I need? The Podcast app has... I think can do pretty much all the the basics. There's no glaring omissions. Like granted, some of these you know apps have like funky features, make smart playlists, and other things like that. Gotcha. Yeah, I don't need any of that. I listen I don't need to like five to nine podcasts, which is about enough to get me through a work week on my commute to and from work. But there you go. Yeah, my commute's so short these last couple of years. I don't. Yeah, my podcast listening has gone down. It's kind of sad in a way. I mean, somebody like our good friend Jack or Victor, you know, they might need more content. So we better get cracking. Better get cracking, first of all. Second of all, get a podcast app, subscribe to some kick-ass podcasts so you have more content. Yeah. I would love to be able to fill your feeds up. 
but I don't know if we have the resources or the wherewithal or the motivation to do that. Although I am weirdly more motivated today than normal days, but let's get through the rest of it before we get into that. Okay. Gutterballs.tv. Gutterballs.tv. You can can always listen there. You can always listen there. You can subscribe there. You can follow us on your social media platform. It's the Gutter Hub. Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr. So all the links are all there. All there. There's even a link there to our store. Shit. We have a store, Adam. A store. I'm not even going to say what's in it. Because <laughs> just go and check it out. <laughs> go to gutterballs.tv and then click on the link that says store. The great thing about that store is we add more shit to it all the time. Yes. Hey, if Our he- store runneth over. I'm just spitballing here, but if you you want something like a particular design of some element of gutter balls, something funny, probably that Brad said, since I don't say too much funny shit, send us that idea. We'll make a design and put it in there. Yeah, I just said that. I don't care. We'll do it. So check us out. Gutterballs.tv. It's your gutter hub for everything. Yeah, especially the store. We need to recoup some of the thousands and thousands of dollars that we've spent on this podcast. If we can just get $4.86, we're going to be really happy. If we can if we can get $4.86, we would be able to produce more content for all you commuters without a doubt. It's true. It takes so little for slightly less than a Price of a cup of coffee. We could produce one more episode. (laughs) Oh, the 80s. So, do we... You're asking me? What do I know? Uh, Do we have any uh, revisits? Um, Well, I'm not sure, because I don't remember if we talked... I texted you about this. I'm not sure if we talked about it or not, but this struck me... You don't remember talking about it. I don't think it. we talked about it. You're my litmus test for whether we talked about shit or not, because I don't remember, and I sure as shit don't listen. Usually so. between the two of us, we can remember. Yeah. One of us would remember. It'd be a foggy most little... Most of the time. Like, the lonesome foghorn blows in the back of our mind. See, we, I remember that. See? So do I. The, it's just I the short-term say, memory that sucks. Yeah, I would say there's only like a 25% chance that both of us would forget. I'm perfectly fine taking that chance. So there's a 25% chance we already talked about this. But you know what? When we talk about it this time, if we already did talk about it before, strangely, we're going to repeat exactly what we said almost word for word. Verbatim. So, all right. So what is this about Boogie Nights and... Well, I wanna, bowling alleys, what's what's going on here? I want to talk about the mechanics of physical objects. Okay. And th- this minute... <clears throat> this minute includes this shot of all the... See, I can already feel like we've talked about it. No. Well, does it... No, we're we're off of it. Last minute included, towards the end of the minute, these close-ups, like, detail shots of the guts of the pin setter, which, for those of you who aren't 
you know, ardent listeners of the podcast is the device which, after you throw your ball down the lane, the pins go everywhere, hopefully. This device captures them all, and the the pins go up this, like, roller coaster ride through all these, like, twists and turns and spaghetti of, like, metal and machines and gears and belts. And, like, now we're behind this pin setter, and it's lit all nice, so they had to get... I just can only imagine... What it took to get the big Panavision camera back there, or whatever they're using, and all that gear and light it. But just like the guts and the inner workings of the pin setter. And we're kind of like panning across it. And then we cut. There's multiple shots of it. Who knows if they had to like recreate this in some other place. But I mean, it really looks like. The guts of the machine in the actual Hollywood star lanes. It, I'm going to guess that that's what it is. It, and like if they actually recreated this on a soundstage, that would be the most technologically astounding accomplishment of this movie. I they would were say. going. It was a combination of it was kind of a combination of balls to the wall, but also kind of tits up. And how how's it tits up? I don't know. I don't think you need to recreate this Hollywood star lanes on a soundstage. I think you can you can figure it out. You can cram a camera in there. Maybe use a different camera for that shot. Doesn't matter. Your options were limited back then, but yeah, I see what you're saying. You could use a smaller format. Um, huh? Not smaller format, but smaller footprint camera. But you've still lit it, you know? Yeah. And and you know the because it's on this very smooth it's like a almost like a jib shot across the pins are coming up and you can see like the oil on the the gears and the arms. So, I don't know, man, it's pretty good. Either way, it's a lot of to do to get this shot. These not this shot, multiple shots. And it just struck me that this movie came out in 98. Boogie Nights came out in 97, and I remember, I think the first thing you said after we walked out of the little living room at Cinema 5 where they roll the TV card out, and you watch it on a cathode ray tube television, and you're like, I paid $5.50 for this? It's bullshit. I think one of the first things you mentioned was, how weird was that when it was Dirk Diggler's first sex scene with Julianne Moore? Mm-hmm. And, you know, Ricky Jay is there. He's the DP. He's the camera guy. And there was just this extended scene of like these, like pushing in on the like mechanics of the camera, the lens. Oh, and he's yeah. like, he's like zooming out, you know, to try to get the entire penis, I think was mm-hmm. the suggestion there. And then like you see the gears of the camera working. And I guess maybe it's like, look, he's going and going and like, the film actually thump, kind of flaps out like they used up an entire mag and now it's flapping around. Hey, we got to change the mag. Right. Mag change. But it was like all these little detail shots of those, like the guts of the camera. This reminded me of that. But I mean, I, I, I don't think that the big Lebowski pin setter stuff was influenced by that because I just don't. They were too close and like Cohen's don't right. give a shit. But it was more of that just... 
stew. It's just swimming in the right. stew, shit floating around, and sometimes it's like ideas are there. Cinematic sparing in reality, right? Right. But it, you know, it's very similar. It's like let's let's have a detail now on you know because on the surface this is a bowling movie, so here's a detail of the guts of a very very much bowling machine and boogie nights is you know on the surface a movie about the porn industry Mm -hmm. and here's a detail of the camera that captures the the images i don't know it was just weird and it it was like a like a callback like a a throwback a shout out to throw shout to call shout i don't know just made me think of it how about that all right little greasy oiled up gears and stuff it's a yeah, it's a greasy oiled up connection, and and a little out of place because this movie hasn't actually been about bowling too much. Like we've seen, we've seen some shots of balls going down the lane, but then to get into the guts and the inner workings of things. Yeah, well, there there is this whole sequence at the end. Of the last minute, and it comes up into this minute. You know, we're listening to uh, Towns Van Sant. Dead Flowers. Dead Flowers, yes, thank you. I know it's some kind of flowers. The least popular Van Sant, apparently. Because there's only three of them. And I would say they go in order of popularity. Little Steven Van Sant, you would argue that, obviously. Then Gus, then Towns. But that's the only three. Well, and their families, but... Right. There's only three of note. Yeah. That that, that match the criteria for having a Wikipedia page about them. Correct. But yeah, there's like this 30 seconds of just like ambiance. Like, let's show the whole... Uh, yeah, the bowling apparatus. Balls going down the lane. The pin setter... The guy with the, like, whatever that is, like the lane oiler cleaner. I really want to get back to the lane oiler cleaner after you finish this. But, yeah, so, you know, again, it's this long kind of uh, sequence just kind of setting this, like, mood up. And the movie's almost done. Like, the movie has about two minutes left in it, and then they put in 30 seconds of just this setup. Like it's almost like I think I you'd be expected for this just to like at any moment cut to black somehow. And you know what I think that would have been a fine ending for the movie? Mhm. If the last scene between the dude and the stranger didn't happen, this would have been okay. Yeah, you wouldn't be like you're missing something at the end. Granted. Yeah. They pumped by adding the stranger at the end. They pumped it to eleven. Absolutely, but without that, the we would have never known. Don't do ten. They do at least ten point five to eleven point five. Yes, but yeah, we the just range. I would, I would put them in as we well. We just came from a funeral, and they said, "Hey, fuck it, let's go bowling." And now we have all of these like very mechanical shots, and let's face it, an empty bowling alley. Everybody's gone. You know, it's like everything has been vacated from this place that we've seen as vibrant, 
full of life. The social epicenter of this film is the bowling alley. We see the guts of the machinery and now like emptiness, kind of what happens after everything's gone and it's quiet and dead inside. Cut to black. You're done. Perfect ending. But they had perfect plus 0.5 to plus 1.5 with that little extra bit. And it's funny that you can see this guy rolling his um, lane oiler cleaner, this like bowling Zamboni is down the lane. And it's obviously an empty bowling alley. And then they cut and you got Barry Asher throwing a strike and it's obviously not empty and there's people in it. Right. And yeah. and that's fine. <laughs> No, it's totally fine. Well, and also, like, yeah, it was kind of like, um, dark, totally dark behind him. Yeah, so but clearly like, empty. No, it's lit up. There's a bartender. There's people there. There's people are ordering. I mean, not many people. Theoretically, we only ever see the dude and the stranger, right? And this other guy, Barry. Barry Asher. Barry. Barry. <laughs> we we know Walter is there. Yes. Because later on you hear him go, Walter, or something like Walter. that. Walter! It's more like an extended Walter. Yeah, I'd have to revisit it again. That's it technically in the next minute. Yeah, I didn't want to get into that too I think. Much. Now, I do have a pre-visit. I'm not sure if I want to do it. I kind of want to, but I don't need to. Maybe I should do that at the end, since it's a pre-visit and not a revisit. Um, oh. We don't stand on any kind of ceremony here. It's up to you. Well, pre-visits apparently bore you, so we'll move on. All right, All let's right. move on. <laughs> um, fucking Barry Asher, man. Barry Asher. Well, here, we. so I think we should play the minute because we've already kind of crossed over into talking about right. the minute with let's the darkness. It. We're getting right into it. This is serious. The, Things are yeah. speeding up to the end. There's a lot to talk about. We need to not fuck around too much here. We're just jumping in. Yeah, let's do it. I mean, I could fuck around. I could too, but we can you fuck sure around. You want me to fuck around? Let's fuck around after. After the minute? <laughs> after the minute. All right. Well, I mean, we're already talking about shit that's going on in yeah, the minute. Yeah, go for it. I don't have any more revisits. Do you? No. Go for it. Let's play the minute. All right. Sodas, Gary. Right. Good luck tomorrow. Yeah, thanks, man. Uh, sorry to hear about Donnie. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, sometimes you eat the bar and sometimes, uh, you know. Hey, man. How'd he do, dude? I wonder if I see you again. Wouldn't miss the semis. Oh, yeah. Things been going. Oh, well, you know, strikes and gutters, ups and downs. I'm sure I've got you. Yeah. Thanks, Gary. Well, take care, man. Gotta get back. Sure. Take it easy, dude. Oh, yeah. I know that you will. Yeah, well, the dude abides. So he does say Walter. You can hear him in this minute go, Walter. It's right at the end. Right, because right we, at the end. we come back briefly to the stranger before this minute actually ends. He's he's like, 
Like we refocus on him. We rack focus right. back to the stranger. I don't think he actually says anything. No, he doesn't. But we do refocus our attention on him for a little bit. Yes. The dude abides. It's in there. So at the, the end, what a way to wrap up a minute. The fucking dude abides, man. The dude abides. It's almost unfortunate that you can hear him say Walter in the background. I never noticed that till studying it up really? for this podcast today. Yeah. Hmm. Never really registered him doing that. A lot doesn't register with me, you know? It's, well, no, that, you know, it's just because the movie's so great. It's engrossing. So yeah. it's easy to get caught up and not hyper focus on the details. Yeah. The details the should be. The guy is back there. Is he? You can see him. Like when the dude when it, yeah, when but that's dude, a guy wearing an orange suit. <laughs> that, yeah. That's like the pinsetter guy who's like crawled up into the thing and, and he's disappeared. Walking, he's walking backwards with his zamboni, which is the which way makes more sense. I would you don't do want it. a zamboni to lane and then and then walk over what you just zamboni. I was thinking that when we were watching the I first know, I'm like, scene. What's this guy doing? Do you think they played it in reverse? It doesn't look like he's. I know a good reversed shot when I yeah. see one. Well, maybe you just push it down to the end, and you're not—you're just getting it ready. Then you turn it on, and then push it backwards. You know, he's not getting it ready. He's taking care. Well, maybe the machine just has a maximum speed. It just doesn't matter whether you're really waxing Zamboni and whatever. You know what I mean? I mean, yes. I like. There's almost like a governor on it. Right. Like, there's a lot of tension in the axle or whatever that will only mm-hmm. allow it to go so fast i get that i don't know if it's true but i get it no um where's this pins do you remember the the guy yeah yeah no i have it right here it's it's the guy working on the pin setter the first time the dude meets the stranger this is it like Fifty nine twenty eight, and he's in an orange jumpsuit like a escaped convict. And remember, he climbs up into the pin setter and disappears up there as we push in on the dude right. and the stranger. I remember that now. I do remember that. We talked. We noticed that and talked about that. Yes. Right. So this is the same guy now who's back there for the semis, which they probably shot this scene on the same day or within the same couple of days. So, of course, he's on set. He's going to be back there now pushing the Zamboni down the thing. But he's wearing an orange jumpsuit. And the guy that we saw in the little mechanical object detail montage is not wearing an orange jumpsuit. Jump. Jump. Shoot. It's just a dude wearing, like, I don't know, jeans and a T-shirt or whatever. Working clothes, but not like personal protective equipment. Right. Well, maybe maybe, it is. Maybe it is, but it's blue. It's not orange. Maybe they have like a deal with the prison. It's like a labor exchange. Like work release program? Work release program. Yeah. Could be. I mean, you know, there's a lot of degenerates hanging out in bowling alleys, so or seems like a good environment for them to be in. Or it's just a whole, you know, hierarchy, right? Like smoke some tie stick, <laughs> occupy some bowling alleys, yeah. drive around, maybe. What's a hierarchy of what? 
You well, you have like you know the manager who gets to dress more like in normal clothes, but then he and you know then you have like the assistant managers that get to do that too. But then you have like these people that are just like low on the totem pole, and he humiliates them by making them wear a red suit of shame because they're not as cool as he is. I think you're being a little harsh to you know middle management. I don't know that it's. It may be mandated by the program just because they haven't earned their stripes yet. You know, they haven't earned the trust of being out in the community. They're they're on probation, basically. I don't think it's vindictive. It's well, just, I'm, here's your first bonus. You get to be out in society. Well, sort well, of. I was saying. Quasi-society because it's a bowling alley. But, you know, you got to yeah. wear orange jumpsuit. Well, mine is mine is... Assuming those people aren't prisoners. Oh, well, that's... This was a completely alternate theory. Gotcha. That would just be straight dickishness, then. Yes. I'm assuming they're all work release. This is the Bowling Alley Work Release Program. There it is. Bowling Alley Work Release. So, yeah, if it was just like, okay, we only have, you know, four uniforms. There's five of us. If you can find three blue ones, I'll let the... Three of you wear the other two orange ones. I don't know. I tried to do it. It didn't really it's work. Pretty good. Out. It was pretty good. It's hard to understand what Richard Breyer talks about sometimes. But anyway, yeah, we cut from like middle of the night, I guess, or early morning with, you know, the sort of dapper Zamboni operator in his dark blue jumpsuit. To immediately, boom, now it's like hopping. Well, maybe not hopping, but, you know, busy. Maybe it's like a league night, so there's not a lot of regulars in there. Or it's just, yeah, it's definitely an off time. There's not many people there. But here's the thing about that. And I, I there's a lot to say about, okay, before I get to that, I, I really want to operate one of those Zambonis. I like the way... That it spans the width of the hardwood and extends just over into the gutters a little bit, but it doesn't touch the edges of the gutters. So it's got a little leeway there. Mm -hmm. So you can push this or pull it, whatever you're supposed to do. I imagine you're supposed to pull it. I don't know what this guy's doing. Maybe there's like a dusting option and then a mopping, like polishing option. Dusting goes forward. Polishing goes back. What about that? Could could be. I just like the way it looks. I feel like there's little like like a little like carpet mustache on the bottom of that thing that's just like kind of sweeping. I don't think it's like a roller, even though it probably is. I imagine like a little. It's... I imagine on the way down when he's pushing it forward, there's a little carpet mustache under there that kind of collects the dust. And then he does something, like angles the handle a little differently, and then maybe there's a roller or like, like circular, like brushes that kind of like move around in a circle, maybe. and that kind of like polishes it. Yeah, I don't know what's in there. I'm not asking you to agree with me. I'm saying that's what I want it to be when I picture enjoying doing this myself. That's how okay. I would want it to operate, which would make 
me sing inside and make kind of all my molecules come together in a way where maybe Ben Horn was like, if I can just find the perfect arrangement of things, of objects in my room, this would be like the perfect arrangement of things. And it would like, ooh, make my spine tingle. Okay. Okay. Nothing like that in the world makes you feel that way. If you um, get if something like a sound that's just right or something. I'm going to have to reflect on that and get back to you. Or are you just dead inside at this point? I feel like there must be something. <laughs> You're dead and broken inside. But I can't quite. The way the sun like, hits the leaves in autumn and it's the, like really spectacular and you're like, this is, and they're kind of like cascading out of the sky. No, no, that's, that sounds really nice. Sounds nice, but then there's like, you go to 11.5 sometimes and it's like, oh my God. Like when you're driving and it only happens once every three to five years for me, but you get like. It's that perfect autumn day. The leaves are just blazingly colored. And you get like, it's not windy or that cold. It's cool. It's crisp. But you get the one blast of wind perfectly on like a road that's fairly or mostly rural. No houses to speak of. It's kind of trees swooping over each side. And you get a little gust of wind. And it's like the leaves just kind of like a big, like, they kind of come down slowly and you're just driving through them like the Millennium Falcon on hyperdrive when the stars go. You only get that once in a while. You really have to appreciate it when it happens, Brad. Autonomous sensory meridian response. Is that what this is called? Uh, Not really. Although it's kind of reminding me of that. So what is autonomous non-sensory Rondos McDonald. What is that? That's, oh, do we really want to go down this hole? Well, I don't, it's not, as far as I know, it's not a hole. What is it? Well. Autonomous. It's this thing that apparently people have. What is it called, like, though? Again, it's kind of like this. Before you this, get into it. Uh, I, I did, pleasurable sensation. What's it called? Autonomous. Autonomous sensory meridian response. Meridian. ASMR. Okay. Autonomous. And it's one of these things that has like only recently kind of gotten a name. And it's through the power of the internet that people around the world are able to say, wait, this is an actual thing. I have that too. That's fascinating. So, but you're saying that's not, so here, let me give you another, bef- I don't want to look it up. I don't want to know anything about All it. Right. Let me give you another example of when this happens to me. I have this LTO system at work okay uh and it's got two cartridges and it's you know it's got the tapes in there mm-hmm. so i should explain what that is a little bit but so it's i'm trying to figure out how to describe what the cartridge looks like well it looks like a cartridge it's a plastic cartridge with magnetic tape inside it's about maybe a just to rough it it's about the size of Two decks of playing cards next to each other, more or less. Okay. Get it close, right? But it's like a hard plastic exterior with, you know, it looks like old school magnetic tape, like a giant cassette tape, you know, but Mm -hmm. square. And 
it's got a cartridge and you you put it in there's four on each side and you shove it into this machine and then it feeds one of those tapes inside the guts of the machine at a time <clears throat> so it's got a mechanism a loader that'll come and like remove one tape put it back where it belongs grab another tape and like clunk clunk like place it into the center of the machine where then it can like write data to it and shit. But there's a sound when the tape moves from its, you know, nominal home in the cartridge to the center of the machine. There must be some kind of arm or something that like moves it, but it makes this like kind of slidey chunky chunk, like chunking, but slidey. Mm -hmm. Plastic on plastic with a little metal, but with a like a solid wood type sound to it. Kunk, kunk. And I just wait for that sound. And when I hear it, it's like, oh, my God, that's perfect. Is that this? That could be it. Or is it something else? No, that could be it. I'm trying because I'm trying to suss out autonomous <laughs> sensory meridian it's the meridian that's throwing yeah i'm not sure exactly what that means but in essence the center or something yeah maybe it's in essence this thing um it kind of had a big moment on the internet maybe three or four years ago i feel like um it's it's so in essence people report having this kind of pleasurable sensation some people describe it almost like, yeah, I don't know. I want to say like an orgasm, but not really. Like some people yeah, call it so. that, but it's not like, but it's not sexual in any way no. at the same time. Yeah, it's not. But it's like, and it can be, and it can come from certain sounds, apparently soft sounds, like the sounds of people. So if you go, if you do YouTube and search ASMR, you'll find never ending videos. Brad, I think people we, making ASMR recordings, like th- in essence, making sounds to trigger it. I think we talked about this before. Ugh. Ugh, God. Three years. Anyway, Ugh. yes. So that's what it is. So it's like, yeah, a lot of people whispering, or there's some other things like, you know, like moving paper around. Yeah, see, to me, it's not just sounds, though. It could be visual, it could be, I don't know. Something else. Right. I guess, yeah. Meridian channels are paths through which the body's life energy flows, according to the teachings of traditional Chinese medicine. Okay. I'm sorry I asked. Other attempts to describe the sensation refer to it as a brain massage, head tingle, brain tingle, spine tingle, and brain orgasm. See, there's the spine tingle. Yes, definitely a spine tingle. Yeah, I'm trying to think of other times when this has happened to me, not just like, I mean, maybe a song once in a while, but there's other like moments where it happens that aren't necessarily visual or auditory, but it's like a collection of, of all of the sensory data that you're inputting in and like, it's all perfect somehow well i think it all comes you know i know what you mean i yes i have those perfect moments right and i can't say these are the things i need to make a perfect moment but you will have those perfect moments and it's one 
part of that is also yourself. Like you're in the perfect state to actually receive this signal. Cause you're, you know, you're, you're, uh, emotional makeup and, you know, stress levels and everything are ready for this. I definitely agree that that is true. And then you also see the shaft of light come through the window a certain way, fall on the hardwood floor, and you realize you're looking at a perfect moment. But I think it can, like, if it's perfect enough, if it goes to 11.5, I think that it can transcend your less than ideal emotional state and bring you to that place. I could go with that. Because... And, you know, it goes the other way, too, because I'm not claiming that when I'm sitting in the corner of <laughs> of cubicle in an office building staring at an LTO thing and the tape goes into the machine so I can write some data onto it. That's not <laughs> a lovely place to be. Right, yeah, that's well, that's a whole different thing. I, I think. just kind of like the sound of it. I'm like, mm, yeah, that was good. That's like a whole like Bjork, like. It's a whole I Bjork. the music of everything around me. Don't compare me to Bjork. Why not? Bjork's I, cool. I She's sometimes cool. Okay. She's very cool. Sometimes. She starred in a Lars von Trier movie. I don't like Lars von Trier movies. I made it through an infomaniac. Jesus. Part Which one? one? Part one or two? Great. Just part one. Finished part one the other night. Took me. How many viewings? Took me uh, like three viewings to get through it. That's not too bad. So now I'm ready to dive into part two. Speaking of which. Hey, knowing that I would never watch Dancer in the Dark, I just read through the entire plot summary of it just so I would never be tempted to watch it. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I know everything that happens, so I don't ever have to watch it. Did the plot summary of Dancer in the Dark make it seem as horrible as it really was? I if it's more horrible than the plot summary made it seem, then I know I don't want to watch it. Yeah, okay. So the so, plot yeah. summary did 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 capture at least in some way a certain level of horribleness. You know what? I'm sorry. It wasn't a plot summary. It was a movie summary. It didn't detail the plot. The plot is like this happened so that uh, this was everything. Here's the right. entire movie. We just we tell you everything that happened, not just the plot points. Okay. Yes, it was awful. I'm like, Jesus, I'm glad I didn't have, you know, a momentary lapse of reason and turn that on. So I'm going to get to this nymphomaniac speaking of Yeah, because you were really excited about that that. But even like this, so this fucking Dancer in the Dark, what year did this come out? Like 2000? 2000. Yeah, it was a long time ago. So this was like, I saw this movie... Knowing nothing of Lars von Trier. Yeah, why would you? And this is, yeah, this was probably his first kind of big movie in the United States, I think. Probably. But all I knew was like, oh, it's this weird movie. It's really weird. It's done by this avant-garde guy. It's a musical and has Bjork. But it's it, also right. This is going to be weird and cool. I'm all in. crazy. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. it's just like, oh, you got to see this movie. And this was 2000. This is when I went to see, like, any movie that was interesting, right? It's not like now where it's like, okay... You only see see the Transformers (laughs) franchise. (laughs) So it was like, all right, Dancer in the Dark. Let's go see it. Which sounds like a terrible idea now. Like, you just wouldn't do that. Oh, my God. At the end, I didn't know what to even do. (sighs) 
It was like, what the... F- what? See, on one hand, I But want- we talked about the Dogma 95. It was shot with a handheld camera and somewhat inspired by a Dogma 95 look. I want to make movies that have an emotional impact and psychological impact on people. But when I think about how I react to Von Trier's movies, and it's like, do I want to make things that make people feel the way I felt mm-hmm. after I watched? And then I'm like, not really, no. Why, why, why would I want to do that? Just selfishly? Like, ooh, I did something to somebody? Like, it seems almost like sadistic. Mm-hmm. Like, you know yes. people are going to be hurt and wounded by it, but you yeah. fucking do it anyway. Why? So, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't Peter think I do that. Bradshaw of The Guardian said it was, quote, one of the worst films, one of the worst artworks, and perhaps one of the worst things in the history of the world. Well. The thing is, I don't think the movie was bad. Like, I thought that it was. Yeah, but you're into that shit, man. No, no, no. But I mean, I think like it was a good, like it was a well put together movie. You know what I mean? It was just so was the Antichrist. Matter was so. Well, I think Antichrist is a spectacular film. I know you do. It, I think that it was put together well. Yeah. But that so doesn't it's like mean calling it one of the worst things. There. I mean, the thing that you're indicting with this is is actually just like again the subject matter. But again, it's the thing that we always get stuck on here, and it's like yes, piece of art, yes, um, amazing piece of art, probably. But what are you spreading into the world? Goodness or sadness and horror, and you know, get busy horrifying or get busy uplifting not that everything's got to be sunshine and roses lynch ain't sun sunshine and roses but there's good stuff in there too yeah and when you deal in such abject like desolation i'm talking emotional desolation psychological Mm -hmm. desolation it's like it's overwhelming almost and i don't know it could i'm still a little traumatized by it. And do I want to add trauma to the world? Like I'm thinking about the movie. Sure. But am I thinking any good thoughts? Did it make me think well, any it, good things? I don't know. I mean, I think it definitely, I would say it made me think some good things. Antichrist. I would say, well, dancer in the dark. Okay, Antichrist. Right. I, I don't know. Maybe, like maybe, it, maybe not. I have to. I'll watch it again and get back to you. You're going to come down here this weekend. I'm going to stab you in the thigh, and let's see if you have any good thoughts to think about that three years from now. <laughs> hey. Well, what, what is there good? There's that, there would be nothing good about that. If I got stabbed in the thigh? Yeah. Right, but what about, like, in Star Wars, fucking Obi-Wan gets sliced by a lightsaber? He was struck down. Oh, I'm gonna come down there and slice you with a lightsaber. He was struck down, Brad, but he became more powerful than Darth could have possibly imagined. I still don't know if I buy that. He was kind of overselling the whole ghost Jedi thing, but still, he was still around. He knew he'd still be around. So, yeah. Not to mention, uh, how was he going to be around? Who? How did Obi Wan know how to turn into a ghost? 
Well, you know, you'd go towards the light. The light of Yoda's little green lightsaber. <laughs> it was Qui-Gon Jinn. Oh, right. Yeah. Well, I don't. Yeah, I don't. Those are not canonical to me. It sorry. was so, so ridiculous. Those anyway, are not sorry. canonical to me, Brad. I'm sorry. No, they're not. So he knew just because it's lore. It's the lore of the Jedi. It's not fucking Qui-Gon researching how to... Ah! <laughs> no. Nope. Thrown at the end of the third movie. <sighs> oh, hey, Obi-Wan, guess what? Look, it's Qui-Gon. He figured out how to communicate to us from the afterlife. Jeez. He says he's willing to teach you how to do it, too. Oh, my God. That's, in essence, was like one of the yeah. last scenes yeah. of that movie. Yeah. That, like, that was supposed to be, like, the epic wrap-up to, like, a three-film odyssey. Oh, jeez. The... <sighs> so, Nymphomaniac. Yeah, so three sittings, but you the, got through um, it. Well, right now in New York City, as we record this, Shia LaBeouf is sitting in a theater watching Nymphomaniac. Wait, is that live right now? That's what's happening right now. Is he going in reverse chronological reverse order? Reverse chronological oh, order. fantastic. I sent you the... Uh, I invited you on Periscope well, to take a look at it. Yeah, I saw. I didn't have time to click on that one. It was actually people watching Shia LaBeouf. So you could actually watch people watching Shia LaBeouf like, watch himself. Like people around the world in, you know... Uh, Bangladesh or something, tuning in and watching him online, watching his own movies in New York? Well, there that's without a doubt happening, but this was a specific stream on Periscope with, it was actually, it was from Funny or Die. So it's Funny or Die being funny. But I mean, they weren't present with him in the theater watching No, they him. were in their own location. Okay, gotcha. Watching the stream. They had the stream kind of, they were watching the stream, but it was also projected behind them. So you could see them and the stream at the same time. We should watch that, And they that, were just giving Brad. kind of like a running commentary on the stream. We should watch that and stream it. Uh, okay. I think you're right about that. You want to fire it up now, or... Well, maybe later after we're done recording. <laughs> Although, you know, we could get on. We could try some Periscope action this weekend. We're going to be in the same place. We could. I've been, I've just rediscovered Periscope, as you know. I don't know that, actually. Well, I have invited you to a handful of Periscopes lately. You have? Over the, la over the last couple of days. On Periscope or via text? Well, I sent some via text and some via Periscope. I don't think Periscope... I sent you that guy smoking the cigar vape with the sunglasses. Oh, yeah, that dude. That's right. I remember that because you commented because you were kind of like surprised that I was actually like talking to him, like participating in right, it. Right, because I saw down the corner, it's like, Brad Kay has joined the blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And then what was... I forget the others. And I sent you that one today. I sent you another one. I forgot oh, what see, it was. I'm not... I just updated Periscope. I updated all my fucking apps yesterday. No, on Sunday. It's like, okay, I'm making food. I'm going to update 69 apps right now. Go for it. I can be away from my phone for an hour and a half. So I just updated it, but apparently it must have turned off the notifications. So I see it now, but I don't, I'm not... They used to come up as like, beep boop, you know. Right. Watch us watch Shia LaBeouf watch all of his movies. 
<laughs> Jeez. Is there a time limit to how long you can periscope something? Uh, you mean how long you can continuously stream? Correct. Not to my knowledge. So you could just keep going. Is that that's not how Shia LaBeouf is doing it though? No, he has. Well, I I tried to search on my phone to see. I couldn't find the live stream. I could just find all the pages talking about the fact that this was happening. Right. Right. But I'm sure it's just it was just because I don't know. It was on my phone and Google was being finicky. I don't know. He must have more technology surrounding this event than just like an iPhone with you no, know, the I Periscope think he does. app. Like this was actually this like, is a yeah. big shit for him. You know, this is this was very a, this isn't a this was a yes performance this was a carefully orchestrated event with the correct amount of budget. Shia LaBeouf, so he's in Nymphomaniac. That's how we got on that. But yes. still, Nymphomaniac, three sittings. Yeah, and well, it's just so long. It was like two and a half hours. That's just for part one. Wasn't Guardians of the Galaxy about that long? That seemed to be like 20 minutes. Could have gone on forever. Yeah, no that's problem. True. That's true. You know why? They were spreading good feelings. Made me feel good. I sure. had a spring in my step well, afterwards. Okay, it's only two hours and two minutes, but still. Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah, it went by in a in a heartbeat. Yeah, and I am also watching the extended director's cut, I will add. Well, yeah, that's tricky. That's tricky. You want to say, like, the director's vision is usually the one that's going to be definitive? Mm, I don't think it always works that way. No, definitely not always. Blade Runner, it works that way. That fucking voiceover yeah. man these voiceovers get in there brad and it makes me want to destroy things i understand and i'm trying to be more positive lately but i hear like five minutes worth of exposition in the form of fucking voiceover it makes me go crazy mm-hmm. it's just so fucking lazy that's the best idea that you had in a visual medium mm. So the extended director's cut, part one and part two combined, is 326 minutes long. Wait, 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 three hours and 26 or 300? No, 326 minutes, which wait, is no. equal to 5.433333 hours. It's almost five and a half hours. Are you, really? Yeah. Well, that's only, that's part one and two. Well, I know, but. That means part two is three hours long. Yeah. I mean, maybe it was more than an hour and a half, two and a half hours. I just was kind of guesstimating there. If you split it evenly, it would be 2.7 hours each. Okay. Which would be like around, you know, uh, two hours and 40, 45 minutes. He needs to check himself before he wrecks every self. A little too late, I think. He's just, he's gone full on Trier. He's total Trier now. I don't think yeah. there's any coming back. Oh, this guy. It is the most straightforward and easily understood of the three films, but it still requires focus, stamina, and an opened mind. Of what three films? Um, what's considered Lars von Trier's Depression Trilogy. What's... <laughs> which oh, is there's only three? Melancholia and Nymphomaniac. 
Well, that's a little, that's kind of cheating a little bit, because Nymphomaniacs 2. So wait, that's his Depression trilogy, so the two Lars von Trier movies I've seen represent two-thirds of his Depression trilogy. And his other ones are supposed to be uplifting romps through the park and the daisies. Yeah, I guess so. Dancer in the Dark. It's basically a rom-com. That's what well, they're Dancer insinuating. Well, in the Dark, while like, horrible things happen to the protagonist, you feel... Dead inside? No, you don't feel dead inside. You feel kind of motivated to make the world better. You know what makes me feel like I want to make the world better? Elon Musk. That's what. He's like single-handedly ensuring the survival of the human race on many levels. Yeah, true. You know, and what the fuck are we complaining about our jobs, (laughs) Brad? Seriously! (laughs) Johnson? We don't have any business complaining about shit unless we get busy. Get busy living or get busy dying, Brad. Hey, that's, that's the truth. The dude abides. The dude abides. The dude abides, Adam. The dude abides. This doesn't mean he tolerates. This doesn't mean, like... He obeys. This means, and this has a green check mark on English.StackExchange.com. This is the best answer. Intentionally vague phrase hinting at the fact that the dude lives in his unperturbable state of dudeness somewhere. And that was like the best distillation of it I think Mm -hmm. I could find. Because the dude abides, man. He's just out there taking her easy for all the sinners. And you get the feeling he's always going to be there in some form or another. Unperturbable. The dude abides. Lars von Trier does not abide in the same sense. The dude abides, man. I don't know what Lars von Trier does. He's a fucking nihilist is what he is. Say what He's you will. He's definitely the nihilist, yeah. About the tenets of dudism. At least it's a fucking ethos, Brad. <sighs> fucking nihilist. And I think that's what you meant when you referred to Antichrist as the unvarnished truth. Nihilism, in some way. You don't care. It's like you're not passing judgment. It's like the, the dude and the nihilists are different sides of the same coin. Neither of them pass judgment, but one because they don't give a shit. Well, and the other one because they don't give a shit either, but right. in completely opposite ways. One is the darkness and the, one is light. Yes, the way Antichrist is like the unvarnished truth is in the way that it shows the universe and all of its indifference. Okay. Hmm. All right. Which I think is a hard thing for some people to swallow. Definitely. It's not hard for me to swallow, though. I mean, I happen to agree with that. I still was profoundly disturbed and upset by it, even though I agree with that. Because the dude believes that the universe is indifferent to your troubles. You can't worry about that shit. So that's not all of it somehow. The universe and all its indifference. Well, there's more to it. I mean, how is the dude's kind of indifferent to things? Isn't he? He wants well, his, well so he wants I his guess there's back. two ways you can look at it, right? I mean, the universe is indifferent, 
So you don't need to fucking worry about it. Or the universe you know? is indifferent. Realizing you're not in control of anything is kind of like freeing. And it affords you the opportunity to fucking relax and not worry about that shit because life mm-hmm. goes on. But if you look at the universe as indifferent and that motivates you to become or try to become controlling of it, you will wind up in a sorrowful pit because you can't control the universe or nature. Yeah. I'd rather talk about Elon Musk. Okay. Or we could talk about the dude more. He abides. We could talk about sparroting because there's at least two sparrots in here. Well, shit. Yeah. There. So we kind of did them out of order, but who cares? But the dude abides is a sparrot. Right. Possibly the most iconic line in this movie is a sparrot. Right. It was set up earlier. We mentioned it earlier. Way back in shit. I should have looked up what episode it was. Yeah. It's got time. Many for episodes that. ago. I will not abide another toe. I hope is what you're talking about. That's exactly what I'm talking about. I will not abide another toe. It's episode 53. Episode 53. The only reason I know that is because it's called I will not abide another toe. (laughs) There it is. Yeah. Episode 53. So finally, some uh, 58 episodes later. We can close the book on that one. <laughs> we can close. Yep. It's come full circle. But yeah, the most iconic line in the movie, I think, you know, we have a habit of saying that, like, no, this is one of the best. I think this is it. Like, if you had to distill the movie into three words, the dude abides. Like, that's. Yes. That's the movie. This is without a doubt the most iconic phrase. Yes. And it also probably distills does the best job of distilling the movie and the dude definitely dispil- distilling his character yeah it's right. almost like they came up with it doing one of those writing challenges like write an entire character using only three words right right you know and they had like all these different things you know like the the train conductor falls i love weed yeah but that was the dude abides I wasn't listening. Nope. The dude abides. That's it. I mean, that is it. And it wasn't even the dude's idea. Like, that was just rattling around in there because Mm -hmm. the titular Lebowski said, I will not abide another toe 58 minutes ago in this movie. And then the other sparrow is what? The the bear. Sometimes you eat the bar. Right. He starts a sparrow. But this is a weird thing because he starts it. It's almost like that was an incantation that summoned the stranger from his otherworldly dimension to appear. Because the stranger's the one who first said that. Right. And now I wonder yeah. what episode that was in. Sorry about the sorry to hear about Donnie. Oh well, you know, what they say sometimes uh oh well you know sometimes you eat the bear and sometimes you know hey man there he is quite a mustache going on on that guy he's known for his mustache man yeah i'm trying to find 
what episode? It was after 53, because he needs his Johnson. Mm-hmm. You cannot trade. I like your style, dude, I'm going to say. Mm-hmm. It's either 62 or 63. Yep. So not that long after the other scene. Or 61, actually. 61 or 62, sorry. No, it's it's pretty pretty close. So maybe he takes his spirits from these traumatic moments. There was some trauma. Yeah, without a doubt. You know, you're going through the trauma. It definitely uh, gears up your brain to collect more dust to then kind of like, just kind of like, you know, cough up later. Yep. Like like giant dust motes hanging in the golden rays of sunshine, which could be something that might make my spine tingle, actually. Ah, there you go. I love some... Does the sun make you sneeze? No, in fact, I've tried to kind of look into it and squint a little bit to force myself to sneeze sometimes. Doesn't doesn't work? It doesn't work. Okay. Does it make you sneeze? Yes. Hmm. But also, if I see those dust motes in the sunlight, I sneeze. Don't get me wrong. I don't, like, on an emotional level, I don't really like knowing that all that dust (laughs) is in the fucking house because that's disgusting. But I like the look of it. Right. Just like slow floating moats. Like if I make a movie, I try to capture those fucking moats. And again, we talked about that. I can't. Mm -hmm. Jesus. You only talk about so many things. But you got to flap some like really thick and luscious toilet paper in the air to get those really big moats. That's what I've decided. So I always connected the the sun making me sneeze to seeing those motes in the sun. Yeah. Like in my brain, like this is going back like earliest memories. Like as a three year old, somehow my three year old mind connected that. Uh huh. Because they both involve sun, even though I don't know that it's really the same thing. So if you said, here is why do you sneeze when you look at the sun? I might say, well, it's because it makes me think of all the dust. And that just makes me sneeze. It's like a psychological response. Even though I don't think that's necessarily true because they've done tests on people that sneeze at the sun and there's some reason it happens. It's some kind of genetic thing. But Well, I mean, you know, your eyes are right at the forefront of that entire network of... <laughs> shit like all, all your sinuses it's like this mm-hmm. uh web work back there mm-hmm. it's not too surprising that your optic nerve could get all commingled with that right and there'd be some overlap like a really shitty venn diagram of allergy but it doesn't happen to me which is kind of surprising because i have at least i used to have a lot of allergies and uh yeah that didn't do it too busy with like freshly cut grass and ragweed and dust fucking dust man just dust was actually the worst just literally dust so much dust it's dust the world is dust brad we're all fucking dust in the wind i cannot clean my socks (laughs) and i say the world is soiled most dust is actually human skin in your house you know that right I don't believe it. <laughs> Neither do I, but it's fun to say. The uh, dude has a black armband on. The dude has a fucking black armband on. You know, on. this is the last time we're going to see the dude. 
Oh, he's not in any other minute. Shit, does he walk off the screen? He does, doesn't he? Pretty sure. Oh, fuck. So time to say goodbye to the dude. Note note his black armband in support of his fallen comrade, Donnie. He's on the screen for about a second and a half in the next minute, but... But he's, like, out of focus. Yeah. Well, and you know what's crazy, Brad? He is unlit and out of focus and in the background for his most iconic line. He's out of focus? Yeah. Well, maybe... Well... Let me, let me, I got yeah, it. he's I got out of focus. Right? Yeah, the dude. Look at the stranger's shirt, and then look at the dude and his outline. He's out of focus. He's unlit and out of focus, and in the background. I promise you. Oh yeah, he's way out of focus. Yeah, there's no way he's in focus. Yeah, which again, it's like what it makes somehow perfect sense. He's receding into the unfocused background. Right, he's, he's just going back into the soup, so to speak. Right, the he's strange. Like this was his moment. This was his time and place. The stranger has told us this story, and that's kind of his his last words to us as he's fading out into cinematic nothingness, out of focus, out of light. Yeah, it, it, I mean, it makes perfect sense. He's not the focus of the story anymore. He's literally not in focus. The story's over. But he's out there, you know? But before we started this, thinking about... Because obviously you know this scene. He's talking to a stranger, and then he kind of turns around and goes, Yeah, well, the dude abides. If you would have asked me or like put all the resources at my disposal, lighting directors, DPs, a whole crew, it's like, recreate this scene. You got the actors. You got the... Recreate it, what it looks like. Mm Mm-hmm. He mm-hmm. he would have been lit. I would have seen his face clearly. He would have been in focus. He still would have been in the background, I guess, but not like dark and featureless and blurry right. like this. But then there he is. It's like he's he's already gone. And then he even he goes even further. He walks even farther away and out of the frame. Although that does technically happen in the next minute, but he walks literally out of the movie. And he's he's gone. Until they make the sequel. <laughs> right. Right. Naturally. D- now, do people bring that up to you every year or two when that comes up? Yes. Yes, me too. Now- and uh, <laughs> I think they should, instead of making a sequel, they should recast it as a reboot. Shia LaBeouf is the dude. I think he'd make a damn good Walter, honestly. Yeah, do it! True. He would be a pretty <laughs> you know, good Walter. He's got that anger. You have to recast it with young people, right? Yeah. That's how you make movies nowadays. It's all young people. So. Everybody's nebulously like between 21 and 31 in that age where they either always look older or younger than you, but you're never the same age as them. Mm-hmm. Because now we've gone through that that whole period where all of the actors and actresses, all those young people that they put in movies, like at one point we were the same age as those people. We're not anymore. Right. But I never once thought like I'm the same age as them. They always seemed either older or younger. No, right. No, exactly. True. Which, what the fuck? Like <laughs> that, that's some voodoo. That's some magic that somebody's pulling off there. It's like someday I'll be an adult, like this guy in this car commercial who pulls up, 
you know, magically on the street in the middle of a city right outside the building where he's going to work and gets out in his suit and walks in there. He's way older than me. I mean, you know, I'm like 25 when I'm watching this now, which he's probably 23 to 27. Mm -hmm. But he was way older than me. He had a fancy car. He was in a suit. He's in a city. I don't know. He's fancy and important enough to park right outside the building. And it's like, you know, you get to be 35, 36. Like, wait, that fucker's not 36 years old. He's way younger than me. What the fuck? Yeah. No, I'm with you on that. How did that happen? Well, it's like you see some new, yeah, some new person, some new actor, some new musical act. You're like, hey, they're really cool. And yeah, kind of like you. It's like, you know, maybe one day I could be a great artist like them. But you realize, well, they're actually 20 years old. Right. Like when I was in in college, just occupying various administration buildings. Mm -hmm. Driving around. They were busy living. Well, right. So to speak. uh, Well, so to speak. And the thing is, I remember that. I mean, I still have that feeling, obviously. But I remember I could always, you know, I had it was like the little ace, ace in the holes, the little hat in my back pocket, the little like, hey, at least, uh, you know, Cheryl Crow was 33 when she came out with her first album. I don't even know if that's right anymore, but I remember that was always the one I went to. Mm-hmm. Like, hey, hey, hey. Hey, she was 30 fucking three years old when she had her first album. I could always pull that one out. So, suffice yeah. to say, the search becomes more and more desperate each year to find a new right. Cheryl Crow. All right. Yeah. Do we have anything else? Well, the sadness... Or are we going to just sail out to sea? The sadness in your voice leads me to believe we're sailing out to sea. Well, we can find some nice dust motes in the rays of the setting sun. As it shines down upon the poop deck. Next time on Gutterball. Good knowing he's out there, the dude, taking her easy for all his sinners.